good to see you here this morning. It's good to see all your smiling faces. As you may recall, if you were here last time, the last time we got together, we began a new series that's designed to focus our attention on experiencing more joy in our life. We live in a world that is uh, filled with complaining and mumbling. I was reminded of that yesterday as I was driving down the road by a woman, a mature woman, I may add, who was in front of me, pointing the way to heaven for me with her middle index finger. You know, you can't even make stuff like that up. It just happens. You know, each one of us, and if we're not careful, I think each one of us are susceptible to the same grumbling bug. You know, it can bite us at any given moment. I like it. I was talking to a woman who said that, you know, I was going through something this week, and I saw an article on joy, and, you know, frankly, I just wasn't in the mood to read it. You know, and it gets like that sometimes. You know, it can, it, if, and if we're not careful, it can bite any one of us at any given moment. I came across a uh, long list of some of the so-called impossible things of life and the inescapable laws of life that can, if we let them, make us irritable, miserable, grumblers, and all the rest. And they're commonly known as Murphy's Laws, and I want to share a couple with you to see if you can relate and maybe you had this type of week. Law number one, 15 top reasons why any of us can be miserable or irritable at any given moment. Number one, nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you think. If anything can go wrong, it will. And as being in the contracting business, I'll tell you that should be the motto of every contractor. And in fact, just being in life in general, we've got friends who are here from out of town just to give you kind of an illustration of how that works. They came in on Thursday, Wednesday. The gentleman was sick the day before. His wife was thrown up all day on Thursday. They got better on Friday. My wife was thrown up all day on Saturday. My grandmother had to go to the airport on Saturday. My son had a baseball game at the same time. It was a rather interesting, exciting day, and I look forward with great joy to the moment that that day would end. If anything can go wrong, it will. Number two, Murphy was an optimist. I like that. It was even worse than even he thought. A day without a crisis is a total loss. Law number four, the other line always moves faster. Amen. The chance of the bread falling with the peanut butter and jelly side down is directly proportional to the cost of your carpet. I like that. 90% of everything is just plain crud. Whatever hits the fan will not be evenly distributed. No matter how long or how hard you shop for an item after you've bought it, it will be on sale somewhere cheaper. The repairman will never have seen a model quite like yours before. I like that. You will remember to take out the trash when the garbage truck is two doors away. Friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. The light at the end of the tunnel is the headlamp of an oncoming train. And his last inescapable law is a good one. Beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes clear to the bone. (laughs) So whatever. (laughs) You know, every one of these items are like an attitude assailant. You know, they could just destroy your life if you let them. You know, and there's many more just like them. We don't even have to imagine that these things are possible because they happen to us on a regular basis. You know, every one of us has gone through something that he mentions. And I think it's important to understand that if we allow these things and other things just like them, they will just snatch the joy right out of our life. And so what I want to do is concentrate as we go through this series on trying to focus on ways where we can experience more joy in life. And I know that some of you, have you ever wondered where joy actually starts? 
or how long it's supposed to last or you know where, where you receive it and, and all the rest of it. That's, a, that's what I want to concentrate on, how to have joy. Now, if you recall, the word that's used for joy contains the word meaning grace. And in the Bible, grace is something that God gives us. It's a gift from God. It's not anything that we can earn. It's not anything that we can strive for. It's not something that we can achieve on our own. And it's important if you understand what we're trying to get across as far as the message of joy is concerned. So many of us are striving to be joyful in life, but really what we're striving to be is happy. And happy is based on our circumstances. And joy isn't based on circumstances at all. What God is saying is he wants to give us a gift of joy that goes far beyond happiness, which can last from moment to moment and change in an instant. But joy is something that we can have all the time in our life in spite of our circumstances. And while you're turning with me in the Bible to Philippians chapter 1, we'll begin our study in this terrific book. I want to remind you that this book in, of Philippians, this letter was being written by the Apostle Paul as he was chained to a Roman guard in prison, which makes it even more phenomenal if you consider the fact that he's writing to us on this tremendous topic of joy, how we can have joy despite or in spite of our circumstances as he is chained in a prison. And I think that'll help give us the impact that we're looking for as far as, you know, what he's really trying to say. In Philippians chapter 1, we're going to take a look at the first eight verses in this session on how to have joy. We read this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for y'all. In view of your participation, make our southern friends feel welcome. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first time until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What a powerful message that we're going to see on how to have joy in our life. And in the introduction, and many of us just kind of blow through these things, you know, because it seems to be something that we're familiar with. But in this introduction, he gives us two, two things that are needed among believers to have joy. We read that Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us two things that are needed if we're to have joy in our life. They're the foundational, they're really the foundation which everything else we'll talk about is built on. But the first thing is this. The first thing is a submissive attitude. Look what he's saying. He says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. If we're to have joy in our life, the first thing that we need to understand is, is that joy begins with a submissive attitude toward Jesus Christ. The word that he uses, he doesn't say Paul and Timothy, big shot celebrities, superstar apostles. The, the guys, remember us, we're the guys who founded your church. You know, we're, we're, we're the guys up front, we're the visible people. That's just one nice thing about the Habakkuk Award, if there's anything at all, would be the fact that it's for obscure ministry. 
But the reality of it is, is that, you know what, what they're saying is that, you know, here we are, you know who we are, we're superstar celebrities in the Christian community, but we don't address ourselves that way. Because if we're to have joy in our life, the thing that we all understand is that all of our joy comes from a submissive attitude toward Jesus Christ. He said, Paul and Timothy, what? He calls himself, very simply, bondservant. A bondservant, even less than a servant, the lowest form that you can take as a servant. I like the definition, of a couple of definitions. One literally is this. One who serves another with reckless abandon, not regarding his or her own interests. I like that. Being familiar with athletics, having played sports, love to be around sports, still involved in sports. One of the things I remember every coach would tell me is this. You've got to play with reckless abandon. You've got to give it up. You've got to play with reckless abandon. And I don't know how many times I've heard that, and one of the wonderful things as I'm studying and putting this together, here's God saying the same thing. Chuck, if you're going to serve me, you've got to serve me with reckless abandon. You've got to be totally sold out to me, above and beyond everything else in the world. Before anybody else, you've got to just sell out for me. You've got to put my interests ahead of your interests in every area of life. And if you do that, you'll have joy like you've never had in your life. If you're totally sold out, a submissive attitude toward Christ, one who is bound to another by the bands of constraining love, a love and a passion that motivates us to serve God. I like that. In simple terms, what he's telling them is this. Paul and Timothy are saying to the people at Philippi, hey, remember us, Paul and Timothy? We are totally sold out with reckless abandon to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what we're all about. And that's what we want you to know about us. I like that. The word for servant referred to a slave with no rights, one who was totally subject to his master's will, had no rights of his own, had no will of his own, no desire of his own, no game plan of his own. Everything revolved around whatever his master told him he was going to do. See, joy begins, listen to me carefully, because everything that we'll discuss from here on out begins with this. Joy begins the moment that we surrender our will to God's will. Now, the question that you have to ask is this. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for your life? What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for all of our lives? And this is the will of God, that we believe in Jesus Christ. And that we would believe in Christ and that all men would come to a saving knowledge of what God did for us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God's primary will for every human being is that we would just believe what God says about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying that he, he sold out from the standpoint, Paul said, you know what, God, I believe what you say about Jesus. I believe that you say he's the son of God. I believe that you say that you sent him to die for my sins. I believe that you say that, that everything is, is revolving around him, that the only way to heaven is through him. I believe that he hung on the cross and he died and he shed his blood for my sins. I believe that. I believe that there's nothing that I can do. There's no way I can work my way into heaven. I believe it's by grace I've been saved through faith and nothing else. It's not any works of my own, but it's a gift from God. I believe that. I believe that he rose three days later from the dead to prove that he is who he claimed to be, that he died for my sins, that he also could conquer sin and death. I believe that. You see, joy begins with a submissive heart to Jesus Christ. God's will for every person is that they would believe what God says about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
So you want to experience joy in your life, I've got to share this with you because nothing else will make any sense to you at all. The only way that you can have joy in your life is by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. And once you've done that, then you need to give up the notion that you have any rights at all. We have no rights. One of the things that will make you miserable in life quicker than anything else is when you start expounding and spouting off about how your rights are violated somehow. That's not fair. I'm not being treated right. You hear it all the time. We complain and we moan about people in our lives who try to rob us of our rights. What God is saying is this, Chuck, you're, a bond, you're my bondservant. You have no rights. I bought you with a price. I shed my blood for you. You have no rights. I own you. You have no will. You have no game plan. You have no future. You have nothing except what I tell you. And when we accept that, we will have joy like we've never experienced before in our life. We're all fighting it. I like what one lady came to me and said, she said, you know, joy, use it as an acronym. Joy, J-O-Y, Jesus over you. I like that. It's simple, it's right to the point, but it's true. Like the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, I don't even live anymore, but it's Christ who now lives within me. I mean, I don't even exist. We need to recognize that two things are very critical, a submissive attitude toward Jesus Christ. We need to understand that it opens the door for all of the joy that he wants us to have in our life. It's difficult because we live in a society where we expound upon our, our rights. We all feel we have rights. We all feel we deserve certain things and certain treatment. But what we need to understand, and as we'll see as we go through this, it's the quickest way to get your joy stolen right out of your life when you believe that your rights are violated. And I'll show you how wrong the thinking is as we go through this. The second thing is this. He said, we also need a servant's heart. In my mind, the way I look at this is this. A submissive attitude toward Christ we begin a relationship with God. God says now we become a child of God. We become, quote, born again, John 3. We become uh, children of God to those who believe in his name. Uh, we become forgiven and adopted into his family. Romans 8 says God now becomes our father. I mean, those are all the words that God uses to help us understand that we now are part of his family. And it has to do with our vertical uh, relationship with God. It's me and God. Now what I'm talking about here as far as a servant's heart is concerned, it has to do with our relationship with one another. We're to serve one another. We have a submissive attitude toward God that his will becomes, comes before ours. And then we have a servant's attitude toward one another which will expand upon this joy that God wants to give us. Notice what he writes here. He's, if you've got your Bibles open, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ. That's the submissive attitude toward Christ. To who? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. I like this. He says, to all the saints... You know, one of the hardest things for people to understand is, especially in our world where you feel like you have to earn your way and position your way into certain, um, you know, elected positions, you win an award and all this kind of stuff. Let, let, me just, let me just clarify this for you because it's really simple. you either a saint or you ain't. You got it? You're either a saint or you ain't. You're either in Christ or you're not. You either believe in him or you haven't. You're either a saint or you ain't. And the nice thing about that is because there's organizations in our world that would lead you to believe that some people have achieved a certain level that's greater than everybody else and they have to do certain things to achieve sainthood. 
Well, let me just clarify this and make it real simple. If you've believed what God says about Christ and you've asked Christ into your life, you believe him for the forgiveness of your sin, then you are a saint according to God's definition. You are in God's family, period. And it's not based on anything that you do and it's not based on any of your works and it's not based on all the stuff that you think you have to do to achieve a certain position. He's saying that you are a saint. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus. If any man is in Christ, what? He's a new creature. All things pass away, all things become new. That's as simple as it gets. So you're either in or you're out. Joy in our relationships begins when we see all saints are valuable to God. When we see that all saints are valuable to God. Don't you think there'd be a lot more smiles and joy if we would do away with all the divisions and the cliques and, and all the divisions in the body of believers? Don't you think there'd be a lot more joy if we all saw that we were equal in God's sight, that we were important in God's sight, that there weren't some of us who felt like we're more superior than others? That's why I like what Paul and Timothy say. Hey, we're servants, submissive to Christ, but also servants to you. And he goes on, I love this because, see, our problem is that some of us get hung up on what we think others should be doing for God. And it'll steal the joy right out of your life. One of the things that will make you miserable, and I'll tell you right now, one of the things that makes me miserable are people that are coming up to me and trying to tell me what they think I should be doing according to their plan for my life. You know what I'm saying? It's like, God can't get a hold of me. he got to call you up and send you to me. It's like, he got my number. he got direct access. It's amazing to me how many people, and I'm sure you've had the same thing. You know what? We've been praying about this, and we think this is what you should be doing. Really? Well, thank you. That's funny. God hasn't told me that yet. Well, that's because he called me to tell me to tell you. Oh, I love this. I ran into this little cartoon. You may appreciate it. You may enjoy it. <clears throat> I like this. Two people sitting, looking at their schedule. It says, God loves you, and everyone else has a plan for your life. Not just any kind of plan, but a wonderful plan. We've all been there. God loves you, and everybody else has a plan for your life. You know, we need to understand something, that we need to accept and appreciate the plan that God has for every one of our lives and give each other freedom to be able to explore that plan and encourage them instead of telling them what we think they're going in the wrong direction. Now, how do we know better than they do what God's plan is for their life? We need to recognize what he's saying here. Notice also, too, here's another little pet thing I want to deal with. But he writes to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including what? The overseers and the deacons or the elders and the deacons, he said, <clears throat> he said, including the overseers and the deacons. Let's just get something straight here. There's only one type of leadership that's found in Scripture. And that is that Jesus Christ is the head, and we are the body, and there's many members in the body, but there's only one head. And we are all serving together side by side. If you aspire to be a leader in the body of Christ, the Bible says that's a good thing. But let me help you understand something. Leadership is a servant leadership. You don't stand up front and dictate what other people are supposed to do. You lead by example. You know, and you get tired of hearing about the manipulation that takes place because in 1 Peter 5 says, don't you lord it over others if you're a leader? 
Matthew 16 said the same things. You've heard how the Gentiles lord over their authority. Man, we live in a world that's hung up, got this thing about a power trip. Elect me and put me in a position because then I don't have to work anymore and do anything. I'll tell everybody else what to do. That's nonsense. You want to be a godly leader in your family, gentlemen. Hey, you're going to be a servant leader. You're not going to dictate to your wife and your children what they should be doing. You're going to lead by example. That's the kind of leadership that God says is we're, that we're to, to, to have. I love this. There's a guy standing up front, obviously a church leader of some sort, talking to the congregation. This recommendation comes as a recommendation of the personnel committee, the finance committee, and the board of deacons. The church staff has approved it unanimously. We also feel it is the will of God. Is there any discussion? Can there even be any question? There can't be any question. God has spoken. Now you're going to do it. That's nonsense. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. That's not even what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you know what? I'm writing to this letter to all of you who are working side by side, hand in hand, to accomplish one purpose, and that is what? The will of God. Not the will of some man or some other man or some committee or some group of people. You're here to accomplish one thing, and that's the will of God. Does God work through authority? Absolutely, Romans 13. We've got to be careful here. But we also got to be careful, too, is that we recognize and understand that all of us are equal on the side of God that God distributes those gifts to whomever he wishes as he wishes. That your gift is different than my gift, but your gift is just as important as my gift. One may be more visible than the other, but God bless all of us who are serving and doing what we're supposed to do. That's where true joy is found. 1 Corinthians 12, hey, that's where joy is found. You don't go around saying, my gift's better than your gift, I'm more important than you are, and dividing up the body of Christ. Man, we're all in it together. We're all heading the same direction, and that's what? God's will, God's way, God's direction, we're all in it together. We need to recognize that. We need to understand it because that's where joy comes in. You know, one of the things that, that's worth noting here in this introduction to is this. Verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because grace always precedes peace. Listen to me. It's grace. What's grace? God giving to us a gift that we don't deserve, we haven't worked for. Grace from God our Father, and then what? And then peace through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Grace first, then peace. I love that. Because it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's a gift from God. Romans says that now we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God gives us grace by giving us his gift, and his gift is his son. We received his son, which is his gift, and now we have peace with God. We have peace with ourselves, and we have peace with one another. And I'll tell you what, that sure is a good beginning of joy. And as we look at this, we're going to learn some things specifically for those who have been set apart. What I'm about to share with you, these next three principles, listen to me, are specifically for those who have believed in Jesus Christ. If you haven't believed in Christ, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a child of God, if you haven't got to that point in your life, understand something here. What I'm about to share will make no sense to you whatsoever. There may be some value to it, and if you apply these principles, there may even be some benefit for you. But what he's referring to, he says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ, I'm writing specifically to all the saints. This is instructions for those who have accepted Christ, for those who are in Christ. This is, this is now where we're to pick up and say, you know what, I, I've trusted in Christ and I want to have more joy in my life. How can this joy expand and how can it grow? This is what he's referring to and it's specifically for us. All right, you ready? 
Philippians uh, 1, let's take a look at them. Just three things, three simple things, but three things that I think will be transforming in our attitudes toward one another. And also is to joy that we have in our life. Look what he says. Philippians 1, 3 through 5, number 1. I, ha I thank my God, what? Every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day even until now. You see what he's saying? Philippians 1, 3 through 5. What he's saying is that, you know what, as I think of you, I have happy memories of you. If you want your joy to grow and expand, now that you've trusted in Christ and you have the joy of the Lord, he's saying if you want that to grow and expand, apply these three truths. Number one, dwell on things that are positive instead of things that are negative. I have happy memories of you. As I think back to you, you people at the church in Philippi, as I think of you and I think of our time together, you know what? Man, I'll tell you what, I got some real joy in my heart when I think about you. When I think back on the times that we had and all the things that we shared and what God did in our midst, man, I'll tell you what, I have some great memories. Later on, Paul writes, if there's anything good, let your mind dwell on these things. Let your mind dwell on positive things instead of negative things. You know why many of us, so many of us have so little joy in our lives? We spend far too much time dwelling on and remembering the negative experiences of our life. We dwell on the negative, and when we do that, it drains us of the joy right out of our life. Living in the past, particularly, you know, anytime we live in the past, it destroys the present. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on to what lies ahead. He would later tell us. Why? Because you know what? Living in the past will just pull you back. It'll just drain you of all the joy of your living for the present. And what I want you to understand this, you know, some of you think, well, yeah, but Paul, Paul didn't have the problems that I had. Well, we read last week, man, he was getting his butt kicked everywhere he went. I mean, he was getting beat, he was getting whipped, he was getting thrown in prison, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he spent a day and a night bobbing out in a piece of wood out in the middle of the ocean or the sea. I mean, everywhere that he went, he was getting hammered, and he remembered these things. Some of you go like this, well, you're talking about being in denial. Oh, give me a break, you're going to make me throw up. There's been a plenty of that going around our house the last couple of days. But you know why? Because see, some of us are like, well, that, that, but that's being in denial. Listen to me. He's not saying, I don't remember any of the stuff that happened to me. He remembered what happened to him. He remembered how he was treated unjustly. Read Acts 16. That's your homework for this week, okay? Acts chapter 16. And let me just tell you something. He is remembering how that church got started. And if you don't know anything about it, quickly, what he remembers is, number one, it's amazing to me, he's sitting in prison and he's thinking about them instead of feeling sorry for himself. That says a lot. But what he's saying was, I remember back to how the church got started, I remember how I met you, and I remember everything. It wasn't a wonderful thing. Now, if you don't remember, here's what happened to him. He got arrested for talking about Jesus. And they threw him in prison. And they shackled him. They threw him in jail. That was after they beat him severely. And he was in prison. And he got beat up. And you know what he did when he was in prison and he was unjustly arrested and falsely persecuted and prosecuted? He was singing and praising God. You think, man, he got hit a couple too many times. But think about this. He remembered all that happened, but he didn't dwell on that. You know why? Because he also remembered what happened too, and that is the Philippian jailer. 
was about to kill himself because he thought everybody got out. And Paul said, don't kill yourself, we're still here. He said, what are you still doing here? Hey, we're here to tell you about Jesus. This guy dropped on his knees and he received Jesus Christ. He believed in him. And he remembered all the people that were there and how God used those circumstances for his own purposes and his own will. You see something? If you're a servant of God, what will happen is you won't have any, any game plan. Joyful people focus on positive memories and not negative ones. Is it possible that there's little joy in your life because your, weight, your heart's weighed down by bad memories? Maybe for you, it's your family background. I don't know. Maybe you come from an abusive and a smothering background where there was injustice and mistreatment. You won't go near your hometown. You won't go near the place you grew up. I know people that won't go to high school or college reunions or whatever because of all these dark memories in their life. It just brings back bad stuff. Maybe it's a former spouse or a former marriage. Maybe it's a girlfriend or boyfriend or a former place of employment. You know, some of you are probably even thinking about going postal, you know. And uh, we need to recognize something here. You know, maybe it's a coworker, a boss, or management, an owner, a coach, you know, a former neighborhood, even a former church, you know, and you, and you look back on your life and you're just filled with anger and resentment and hatred and bitterness, and all that it's doing is stealing the joy out of your life that we're living today. And what Paul is saying is that, you know what, I went through all that stuff too. But all I'm saying is, I'd rather focus and dwell on the good stuff than the bad stuff any day. I'd rather remember what God did in the midst of all this than dwell on all the injustices of this world. Because Paul recognized something. And some of us are thinking, man, you know what? I, can, I, can I be very blunt here? Stop feeling sorry for yourself. We've all gone through tough things in life. We've all got ripped off. We've all got disillusioned. We've all been disappointed. We've all been hurt. We've all been let down. We've all been lied to. We've all been cheated. Every one of us, every one of us could stand up and cry and moan about how we got somehow or another the shaft at some point in our life. Every one of us here, including Paul, including Timothy, including Silas, including Barnabas, including every other person in Scripture, we all stand up and cry to God, Oh, God, it's just not fair. And he can remind us once again that we're bond servants that have no rights. And that everything that happens, happens for a reason. Paul is saying to allow our joy to grow, we must dwell on good memories and not bad. The positive things and not the negative things. And some of us are sitting there saying, Chuck, but you know what? How in the world is this even possible? How can I even do that? How did he even do that with all the junk that happened in his life? He did it very simply. Here's what he did. He had firm confidence in God. That's how he did it. He had firm confidence in God. I don't know how to get this across any clearer than this. There is nothing that happens in our life that does not happen because God has not allowed it to happen. There is nothing that happens in our life that does not go across the desk of God for him to examine what it is and then to stamp it that it's approved and it's allowable and now it can take place. Read the book of Job. There is nothing that happens in your life, and the quicker that we realize that and understand it, the more that the joy will be, the more we'll be filled with joy in our life. Listen, he had firm confidence in God, being confident of this, what? That he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that. That he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. Okay, here's the bookends of life. Listen to me. God begins it 
and God completes it. And I have confidence because of that truth. God begins it, and God completes it. Man, that's incredible to understand. Does that mean that Paul never doubted God's control? Oh, I seriously doubt it. Because it says that I'm confident of this means I have grown in my confidence of this. Does it mean that you look through Scripture? I'll tell you what, God doesn't even hide it, man. Joseph was in prison for doing the right thing, and you know what he did? He was scratching his head going, how'd this happen to me? Why'd this happen to me? How did this happen to me? What in the heck is going on? God, I'm doing the right stuff, and I'm sitting in prison. Paul could have said the same thing. I was just telling people about Jesus. You said to go out into all the earth and tell people about Jesus. I'm doing it, and now I'm getting busted for it and thrown in jail and getting beat up. What in the world? What's going on here? Job didn't fully grasp God's plan. What did I do wrong? Why did I lose my wife? I mean, my, my children. Why did I lose my business? Why did I lose all my material things? Why did I lose everything? What did I do? He didn't understand all of it. John the Baptist didn't understand it. He was sitting in prison. He said, hey, do me one favor before they knock me off here. Would you go to, to, go to Jesus and ask if, if he's the one or is there someone else that's still coming after him? And his disciples came back and said, Jesus said, hey, you know what? The blind see, the lame walk, and the dead are raised. I'm the one. And John said, that's cool. That's all I needed to know. But he was doubting. We all doubt. Things happen in our life, and you know what? You're going to doubt it at times. But what Paul's saying is that I grew in confidence. You know, the more this stuff happened to me, and the more I saw God at work through it, the more I realized he's really in control and he's in charge. Because when all this stuff happened, all this wrong persecution, all this getting picked on by people, you know what I saw? God's plan was being fulfilled through all of it. Now let me tell you something. Does that mean that we have to be doormats and beat up by people in the world we live in? We've got friends who have been unjustly persecuted, and I know the whole situation, the whole story, and it's wrong, and it's just wrong before God, and it's wrong before man. One of the things I love about Acts 16 was this. You know, Paul was in prison, and they find out that Paul was a Roman citizen, and that they weren't allowed to beat a Roman citizen and imprison a Roman citizen without a proper trial. And so they went to him and said, oh, you know what, you can go now. And you know what Paul said? You go back and you tell the people, the magistrates, the justices, the people who beat us, you go tell them to come and they can tell us we can go. And the messengers went back and said, oh, you guys are in trouble. You guys are in trouble now. They just don't want to leave quietly. They want everybody to know what we did was wrong. And so they had to go to him and apologize publicly. And I think that that's proper. And I think that that's right. And I don't think that any of us should ever be a doormat to injustice in our world where we have the faith and confidence and we don't fear man, but we trust in God. If God puts us in a situation to expose injustice like that, then God's at work and God's got a plan for all of it and he's going to expose it and he's going to use you to do it. I like that. Some of us feel like the victim. We're the victim. But what God's really saying is that if you're on my team, you're not the victim. You're working with me to resolve an issue that I've been wanting to resolve for a long time. And you're part of my plan. Man, isn't it a wonderful thing to get to the point in our life like Joseph did in prison where he said this? You know what? What you people meant for evil, <laughs> God meant for good. So you thought you were getting over on me, but little did you know, God's always been in control that nothing can happen. And he meant good through all of this. I love that. He had firm confidence in God. Some of us don't have much confidence in God. 
We forget that it's God's program, that he's in control, that nothing can happen to us unless God allows it. And we moan and we groan and we're bitter and we grumble and we don't have any joy in our life because we think people are sticking it to us. You know, it's the most amazing thing that will free you up in business. I know it does for my partner and I, but that is sometimes we get people that won't pay us. I don't know what in the world they're thinking. And you even talk to them and say, no, we're really happy with what you did. Well, well, then I don't get it. Well, we just don't have any money. Well, didn't you know that before? Yeah, but we were hot then. <laughs> and we needed air conditioning. Duh. Well, silly me. Should have known. And I'll tell you what, stuff like that can drive you nuts. You just want to choke them, jam them down that air conditioner, watch that blade fly, and watch what doesn't distribute evenly. But you got to the point where you go, Lord, you know what? This is your business. I'm a servant. Dave's a servant. This business is here to serve you. This is your business. If you don't want these people to pay you, then that's your business. That's okay with me. And I'll tell you what, you want to talk about joy in your life again. Because I know this, that vengeance is God. It's all his. And one day he'll repay if he thinks it needs to be repaid. Period. And I like to mention to people, though, too, when they owe us money, hey, by the way, I'll just let you know that, you know, we dedicated this business to the Lord. And really, you're not really not paying us. You're not paying him. <laughs> and he got ways of dealing with you like you ain't never seen anybody dealt with before. I like that. Just plain, simple, and right to the point. But that's the way that it is. Also, oh, we're running out of time. We're kind of running out of time, but I want, I, I, just bear with me for a minute because I want to share something with you that's really important. Some of us have no joy in life because we have never fully grasped this truth. Our relationship with God is not based on our performance. Our relationship with God is not based on our performance. Our relationship with God is begun by God when we believe what he says about Jesus Christ. Listen to me. It is God who began a good work in you. And it is God who will complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. I know too many Christians who are walking around with frowns on their faces and misery in their heart because their performance isn't equal to what they think it needs to be equal to have a right relationship with God. They may be going to a church that tells you you've got to do all this stuff to maintain your status or else God's going to give you the boot. I know nothing in life that will free you up and give you more joy than having confidence in the relationship that you want to know where you stand. I'll give you an example. I don't know anybody can be happy in marriage if they're not sure where they stand with their husband and wife. I don't know anybody can have joy in the marriage. I don't know anybody can have joy in their business if they don't know where they stand with their boss. I don't know how anybody that's playing on an athletic team can have any joy in what they're doing if they never know where they stand with their coach. Our kids are playing on a team right now, and I know these guys never know where they stand with their coach. He's a young guy, and he doesn't understand how important this is. But that is that they, don't, they think, man, if I make one mistake, I'm going to get benched. If I screw up, I'm going to get benched. 
And they go out there with fear in their hearts instead of confidence in their ability to do what they need to do. And they're thinking about the whole time, I don't want to make a mistake, I don't want to make a mistake, I don't want to strike out, I don't want to make an error. That's all that they're thinking instead of, you know what, I want to go out and hit the ball, I want to go out and have fun, I want to turn a double play, I want to have a good time, I want to catch the ball. They're not thinking that way. Because everything is turned around and turned into something negative. And the same thing is true with God's people. There are too many of us who are running around thinking, you know what, I'm afraid to make a mistake, I'm afraid to do this, I'm afraid to do that, and if I do that, oh, God's going to somehow or another kick me off the team. Let me ask you one simple question to resolve this in your life forever. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what kind of life does God give you? Eternal life. How long is eternity? Forever. Case closed. God doesn't say, I'm giving you temporary life. If you mess up, I'm going to take it back. God doesn't say, you're going to be baptized in the body of believers unless you screw up, then I'm going to yank your butt right out of that chair and right out of that congregation. He doesn't say that. He says, if you believe in Christ, I'll begin the work in you, and I will complete it. Why are some of us miserable? Because we've got friends who aren't walking with the Lord like they used to. And we don't have any joy in our life anymore. Hey, you want some new hope? If God began the work, He will complete it. You understand that? Some of us have kids that aren't walking with the Lord. And let me tell you this. If they've trusted in Christ, if God began the work, and it was through His Spirit that they were regenerated, through His Spirit that they were born again, through His Spirit that they were baptized in the body of believers. If God began the work, smile, because He's going to complete it. Do you understand how wonderful this truth is? Do you understand how it changes your life? When I understand that, you know what, it was God who began that good work in me, and as Paul looked back to the church at Philippi ten years earlier, and he looked back and he heard about their progress and all those who are still walking with the Lord, he couldn't help but smile. Some of us don't know what that feels like because we've never been involved with people who have come to know Christ. We haven't seen them grow in their faith. We've got people all over the country through the ministry that we've been involved in, and it's been a wonderful truth that we can call. They're all over the place, and we've seen them growing, and we have joy in our heart because we've seen them. God began the work. Not me, not Paul, not Timothy, not you, not any pastor, not any church leader, not any human being. God converts and changes lives. And when he begins at work, he'll finish it. Our problem is some of us are people that have been born again by people. And we never know what's going to happen there. Some persuasive person challenge you. Oh, yeah, okay, great. Get all wild up. Come down, sign up, go up front, do whatever. And then they say stuff like, well, I, used to, I tried Christianity once. I used to go to a Bible study. I used to go to, I went to a couple chapels with FCA. I used to do this. And I look and say, hey, you know what? That's because that's man's effort. When God begins a good work in a person, he finishes it. When God converts a person and changes them, they become new creatures, they're new forever. Not on their own effort or merit. You want to have joy? Just understand this. If you've trusted in Christ, God began the work in you and he will complete it, and you can smile. Number three, and we'll close. He also felt a warm affection toward his fellow believers. I like that. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you, what, in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. See that? Fellow servants working together for the common purpose. But look what he's saying. He's saying, I have you in my heart. You want to have joy in your life? 
you got to start letting people into your life. You want to have joy in your life? See, you know, point number one and point number three go hand in hand, don't they? You got bad memories about people that used to be involved in your life. And so we dwell on that, we think about that, and it, and it causes us not to want to get involved with new people. Why? Because we've been hurt and we've been burned before. But what he's saying is, hey, you know what? Allow people into your life. Let them get past the superficial. How's the weather? You know what? Who cares how the weather is? How are you? What's going on in your life? Is there anything that we can do to help you? Is there anything we can do to pray for you? Is there anything going on that you need to talk about and unload and just share together so we can bear one another's burdens? You know what? We'll have some joy together. The relationships that we have with people are be, are be, and the joy that we have is because it's been in-depth, man. I mean, when you learn about the very secrets of a person's soul and you become involved in their life and you see God at work in all of it and you see what God's done, you can have nothing but joy when you see what God's been able to do. But the only way that happens is you've got to let people in. We've got a whole bunch of people in churches that just come and they present an image. They don't let anybody in their life. And what Paul's saying is, hey, you want to have joy? You're going to have to open up. You have to let people in. I have you in my heart, and that's why I have such a strong affection towards you. Anybody that's married has to have that depth to their relationship to really have the relationship that you need. Anybody that's in business together has to have that and risk that. Anybody that goes to church together should have that and risk that if they want to be able to be used by God to lift one another's burdens and encourage one another. How can I encourage you? How can you encourage anybody if you don't know what's going on in their life? We need to consider ways to what? Stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the own assembling ourselves together as is a habit of some, but what? Encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day that Christ will come back. We need to encourage each other. Now let's wrap it all up. What have we learned about joy? Joy begins when we enter into a relationship with God by believing in Jesus Christ. It's a gift from God. That joy grows as we dwell on positive memories and not negative ones. As we realize that, you know what? I'm not talking about denying our past. That's not denial at all. It's just choosing what we want to dwell on. You can dwell on bad, or you can dwell on good. And I think it's easier to dwell on good when you realize what? That God's in control. i got a firm confidence, and I'm convinced of this. As I look back on my past, I am convinced that God used everything that ever happened to me to bring me to the point where I would receive Jesus Christ. Absolutely. For years, though, I was bitter about it. For years, though, I resented it. For years, though, I had anger and hatred in my heart. Because I was given a, a bad deal. I was treated poorly. I shouldn't have been treated that way. I deserved better. I had my rights. But I'm able to see now, today, that you know what? All that stuff happened for a purpose. For God's will. For God's purposes. For God's plan. And I thank God for all of that. Convinced that God is in control and He has our best interest at heart. Confidence brings joy when we let God be God. And our joy also grows when we're open and we're transparent and we get involved in the lives of other people. You're going to hear me say this many times during the series, but I really believe that it's true, and that is this, that joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. You can choose Jesus, or you can reject him. You can choose negative memories or positive ones. You can choose to believe that God's in control or he's not. You can choose to allow people into your life or not. But joy is a choice. 
I want to close with the words of a couple of people that I think hit the nail on the head very shortly, sweetly, but these two ladies, I think, summarize everything I've been trying to say. The one gal was injured in an accident. Her name was Christina Payne. I saw this in the LA Times last week, March 24th. She says this, the common threads throughout my life have always been horses and baseball. Though a near-fatal horseback accident left her with ambulatory disability about 20 years ago, pain reveals an undaunted spirit that has always known when and where to find a window of opportunity. She says this, you have two choices in life. You rise to the occasion or you don't, and if you don't, you're out of life. And that goes for anything, not just disabilities. And the article went on to tell about all the things that she's accomplished in her life because she's chosen to keep on living. And the second is a poem by a woman named Ella Wheeler Wilcox, and it goes like this. One ship drives east and another drives west with the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales which tells us the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the ways of fate as we voyage along through life. Tis the set of a soul that decides its goal and not the calm or the strife. I like that. My advice again is that we need to choose joy. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to look in your word and just find some revealing truths as to how we can have joy, how it begins and how we can allow it to grow in our life. God, may we become men and women who show and allow that joy to show through the way that we live and through the way that we deal with one another. We just thank you that it's a gift from God so that none of us can ever boast. We just thank you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we consider this week that this is the week that we commemorate his death for our sins. As we remember his resurrection from the dead and his, his power over sin and also death, we just thank you that it's through him that we can have peace with God. We just thank you it's through him that we can have eternal life, life that you will never take away from us again once you've given it to us. And we just thank you for the joy that we can have by knowing that we have a confident and a, a firm relationship with you. An assurance based on your word, not on our feelings. Based on what you say and not on what we think. And we just thank you and praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.